0: Mobile banking
1: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
0: How do we make sure that we've got representation of people from different backgrounds, right? And, And that we're able to leverage them to the fullest extent inside a company.
1: Hey, it's David. And you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode. Very excited here in the middle of season 10 to bring you today's guest. Uh, she's an outstanding author and a practitioner of the work that she's doing, and we're gonna learn all, all about what that is. Our guest today is Cynthia Young, and she's coming to us from the San Francisco Bay Area, which will make sense when you learn more about her. Cynthia is the author of All Are Welcome, how to build a real workplace culture of inclusion that delivers results. She is Robin Hood's Vice President of Inclusion, Equity and Belonging. She partners with business leaders, employee resource groups, and the People Experience Team to support Robin Hood's mission of democratizing finance for everyone. She's also the founder of Breaking Glass Forums, where she develops strategies to accelerate more diverse leaders and inclusive organizations. She's a recognized diversity leader, Named to Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Women of Impact in 2021, and you know I know she's working on 2022 and off to a very good start there. But uh, Cynthia serves on the board of directors for Ability Path, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering people with special needs to achieve their full potential. Cynthia Young, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul.
0: Ah, uh, thanks so much for having me, David. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: Well, I am very excited that you're here too, and. You are one of the people that I love talking to because you are thinking about the work, the leadership work that you're doing, and you're doing that work, and you have been in in different aspects, and that is such a powerful uh, way to approach things. From my own background, I I got my master's degree from a Jesuit university, and I know they prized that, both the thinking and the doing, and so I'm very excited to talk to you today.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, I've been a practitioner in this space for 20 years now, um, and I don't see me stopping anytime soon.
1: I don't get that sense either. All right, so we're going to dive into all our welcome and, and learn more about the work and, and how we can be more in, uh, inclusive leaders, uh, building all of the things that we're talking about. Before we do any of that, though, I want to ask you if you could take us back, and you, however far that is for you take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. What would that be?
0: Ooh, that's a really tough one. My earliest memory as a leader, um, you know, it's probably back in high school when uh, amongst my circle of friends in high school, I was always the one who organized everything, right? So if we Wanted to go see a movie or like hang out somewhere, or play games with each other. It was I was always the one that organized everything and took the lead and, and really, you know, helped us to make decisions about what we wanted to do, when we wanted to meet up, where we wanted to go, like all of, all of that. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, ha- having been a leader of like different like clubs and organizations as well through like, you know, middle school and high school that just sort of contributed to that sort of sense of being a leader and always like, you know, getting people to, to get things done. So that's, that's kind of, I I think that's probably the earliest sort of sense that I had of actually being a leader amongst my friends, let alone like, like in, in the business environment,
1: (laughs) and that that realization of the influence that you have and that ability to help people come together and get things done. So I love it. Absolutely. And you know, and it's not and I, I what I appreciate about that memory is it's not limited. Sometimes people will say gosh, I have to think about leadership in this like strict organizational context. It's not. Leadership that that influence why not with our friends?
0: That's right. That's right. If you've got, you know, if you've got people who are inspired by you or willing to follow you in any context, right? Whether that's volunteering, right? In your personal life or in your work life, I think we're we're all leaders. We can all be leaders in different ways.
1: Yeah. And I think particularly when we're young, I remember for me, one of my earliest memories was, you know, likewise, and it was, I, I was the oldest of six, but I had kind of the backyard was filled with everybody's friends. Everybody had one or two friends. There were like 10 or 15 people back there, just neighborhood kids. And this moment where it all came together and there were people playing over here and I was throwing a Frisbee and somebody else, you know, my sisters were doing what they were doing, but it was just all working. And that sense of, like you said, bringing people together and it was happening well and how fulfilling that can feel. Yeah,
0: for sure.
1: All right. Well, talking about bringing people together and getting things done you you wrote this tremendous book it's a it's a great resource for leaders called all are welcome how to build a real workplace culture of inclusion that delivers results and we're going to dive in and I'd really like to unpack uh, some of the different themes and some of the different learning that we can get from the book and the tools that we can use before we do I want to ask you what led you to write this particular book
0: you know, it, it sort of happened uh, a, a, a fortuitous set of circumstances, right, in, in some ways. Um, so in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, murder in 2020, um, lots of companies and, and leaders were looking for guidance on how to handle that, right, what to do next, how to actually fulfill their commitments to racial equity and social justice um, that many had made, you know, public statements about. Um, and around that time, uh, an ed- editor at the publishing house reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we're, we're seeing all of this need out there. Um, would you be interested in writing a book given all the experience that you bring to this space? And, um, you know, I, I've always had this sort of hidden goal to be an author at some point in my life. Um, I just didn't think that it would happen then <laughs> or, or that this would be the book that I would write. But mm. obviously, the universe was listening to my um, inner voice and decided to give me an opportunity. And so I, I said yes to the editor. I, you know, And 2021 was just all about writing the book. And really, as I think about, you know, the decision to do this, for me, it was all about how do I scale the impact that I can have, right? In my 20-year career, like I've worked inside some, you know, big companies and small companies um, and had really great influence and impact within those companies. But being able to have a, to write a book that people can read and influence across industries and across many companies, like the idea of accelerating the change that needs to happen is is really part of what drives me and why I decided to say yes to spending that next six months, like writing this book, like on weekends, on weeknights, right? Um, And then, you know, having it out there in the world is, is just extremely gratifying.
1: Mm, mm. You know, you're reminding me, we had a a guest, uh, I want to say six episodes, about a half dozen episodes ago, Becky Robinson, who runs a marketing firm for authors and thought leaders. And, And part of her message was about why it's valuable as a leader in whatever work you're doing to consider writing a book. And I don't think anyone could have said it more powerfully than you did, Cynthia, about the influence and ability to scale all that you're doing and all of the good work that you're doing with that kind of a resource, if you write it well, and you have.
0: Oh, thank you so much, David. That means a lot to
1: me. Well, it's true. And that's why that's why we're here to talk about it. So you've been doing this work, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging work. You've been doing this within a, a human resource frame, and that's 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 the role that you have now. You've done a lot of that work in different organizations, like you said. And one of the challenges with this DEIB type of work and other HR led initiatives is that they can get put in an HR box. Yes. And, but you've written this book, not just for HR leaders. You've right. especially, I think, written it also for people who lead a business line or a function that's outside of HR. And then you also make the point, and I I really believe this, and I think it's true of every aspect of leadership, that it's not just HR's responsibility. It's not just the CEO's responsibility. The diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging work is every leader's responsibility, whether you're a frontline supervisor, HR, chief HR officer, or the CEO, and everyone in between.
0: Exactly right. Um, you know, I think most people tend to put this work, DEI work, very much in, in that sort of framing around talent, right? And it's really like around how do we make sure that we've got representation of people from different backgrounds, right? And, and that we're able to leverage them to the fullest extent inside a company. But having only that point of view for a DEIB work is very limiting, Right. Because I think that um, if that representation doesn't exist within this broader ecosystem and framework of the company strategy, right, the company's products and, and their services um, and who they serve in the marketplace um, and how they operate um, in, you know, coming from a place of fairness and equity internally and externally then you're missing the opportunity to really support that diverse representation to be um, contributing uh, value to your business um, and helping the business succeed and grow. So, you know, it's very much while I sit in an HR role and have been in these, you know, HR functions for the entirety of my DEIB career, I make it a point to influence outside of HR, to be seen as somebody who's a resource to striving, you know, to improve like our business effectiveness overall. because I believe that if you are focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging as a company, then you are positioning yourself to be a company for the future, to embrace, you know, not just the, the people internal to your company, but to to be able to better serve the marketplace that is our global marketplace today, right? There is diversity in all of our, uh, you know, whatever business you're in, in your customer base. And so you have to be able to take that into account as you're driving your business strategy and your customer experiences.
1: It's one of those things that, for me at least, I always wrestle with talking about on some level because... It's like, shouldn't fairness and justice and equity be enough just because they're the right thing? And, the, and they are, and that's true. And the point you're making, which is so important also, is that the economic bottom line spreadsheet, if you will, case for diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, is still, it's there every bit as strongly. And that it, it's a both and kind of a situation, if I'm hearing you correctly
0: that's exactly right um, I think yes uh, you know it is morally right the right thing to do we want fairness we want equity we want um, equality in the world um, but that in and of itself I've not seen it be enough to move people into action if that were enough we'd already be where we all want us to to be right. So you have to think about what are the, the ways that we can actually motivate people to do something differently, to behave differently than they have before, um, to change their behaviors, um, and, and and not just you know have the intent, but to move that into like real action, right? Um, and that comes from understanding how DEIB can support you, support your business, right? Like how it can um, really, you know, get us to a better outcome, Um, not just in terms of like the company bottom line of which there are many research studies that show, right, that, you know, companies and leadership teams that have more diversity are more creative, more innovative, drive better decisions, right, and um, have better financial returns than companies that don't if that's not enough for you, right, then it's like, okay, well, let's look at how effective we are as a team, like what perspectives we might be missing, you know, are we making the best decisions based on the information and data that we have that's available to us, right? Or is there something more? And I think it's always that question of, you know, what are we missing from the dialogue that we need to focus on? And, and what opportunities might we be leaving behind by not having that diversity um, in our space.
1: So we've been talking at a, a fairly large level, like, like the, the level of organization, the level of company, the level of uh, you know, the, the big picture within which our organizations exist. I'd, I'd like to take it down if we could to the level of uh, you know, a leader in an organization. As you said, you connect and you work with so many people outside of just the HR function. And I shouldn't say just, I don't want to just on anything. Uh, but you are intentional about not limiting yourself in there and getting outside of that. I'm curious, what does it mean to be a, a practitioner, a leader of, of DEIB efforts from your perspective for, let's say, a person leading a, a five or a 10-person team? Um, you know, we can talk about it and we'll talk more about some of the more organizational efforts, but let's take it down to the level of... of me, if I'm leading a team of five or 10 people, what uh, are some of the ways of thinking, some of the ways of being, some of the things that we might be doing?
0: If you're leading a team, you're, part of your goal is to get as much out of your team as possible, right? Um, you want to retain them. You want them engaged and productive and so that we're all driving to the same goal and, and having great output basically. And so to do that, right, you have to do a few things, I think you have to know your team well, right, you have to know what motivates them so that you can motivate them, you have to know um, what rewards they care about, what, um, what things that that they require to be able to do their best work on your team, so that you can adjust and give them those things if, if you're able to, right, so that they can do their best work. Um, so, you know, I think understanding who's on your team and just getting to know them and having empathy for their experiences and it will help you create the inclusion that you need to drive that sense of belonging that leads to engagement and, you know, higher retention and more productivity, right? So there's a, a really strong through line in, in that or any manager of small teams or large teams. And then you think about the practical things that you have to do when you lead a team, right? You have to generally hire, uh, uh, you know, at some point, either to build the team or to replace team members who do lead, right? Um, And when you think about hiring, right, you have an opportunity to really use that diversity lens in your hiring. And... Um, make sure that you are adding uh, backgrounds and perspectives and experiences that can add to what you're trying to do, right? And help your team succeed. Similarly, as you're thinking about, okay, who is going to do the work? Right. Like there might be like high visibility types of work assignments and, you know, other types of, you know, admin, more office housework types of things that you need done. Um, Who are you giving those assignments to? Right. Um, Because if you are going to the same people all the time or you fall into that trap of like genderizing, um, who does what because very often it, it seems to be like women tend to get like the, the admin type housework office housework um, roles um, then you know you we need to have an opportunity to check ourselves on that right and is that the best use of the talent that's in front of you um and, and so just really thinking through how you can have more equitable kind of roles and task based assignments right um, I think can create that type of sense of fairness and equity amongst your team as well. That again, leads to higher productivity, right, more engaged folks who are really um, putting in more discretionary effort uh, into the work. So there's lots of ways, I think, if you are a team leader, right, of any size, then, you know, if you're thinking about hiring for diversity, leveraging your team to its fullest, right, having them feel included and giving them an equitable experience of belonging inside your team, then that will lead to higher productivity, right, Um, better outputs, like all of the things that you as a team manager want as your goal and, and ultimately a more effective team.
1: Fantastic. So many great practical suggestions already right off the bat. At, at the leadership level and the supervisor frontline leader all the way up, uh, and I know you've got more we're going to uh, unpack some more of those for us here in a little bit, but before we do. Uh, you've used some terms and and you've referred to them and I want to go back and just make sure we're not taking these for granted, so I know some of these are still newer to some folks who might be listening. So you talk about diversity equity inclusion and belonging DEIB. Could you go through and distinguish each of those for us? What are we talking about with each of those? And probably diversity is the kind of the easiest to wrap our head around. I think we've been talking about it the longest culturally. But what are we talking about with these four terms?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's a, a great call out. David, because, you know, very often people will sort of mix the terms with each other. So when I speak about diversity, you know, diversity in its basic definition is really all of the differences and similarities that make each person unique. In the context of the workplace, we're really talking about representation, right? Representation of different demographic um, backgrounds, whether that is race, gender, um, LGBTQ uh, orientation, um, military status, disability status, like those are all different dimensions of diversity that many companies are looking to make sure are represented in inside their workforces. And that's different from inclusion, which is really about, um, are you leveraging that diversity to its fullest extent, right? Um, Do people feel like their skills and contributions are being truly, like, used and valued inside the company? And equity is really about making sure that no matter what your background and representation is, that everyone has equitable access to opportunities, to tools, to resources, right, that they need to succeed, versus belonging, which is a fairly newer concept in this space that has come up because there's so much research that also shows that belonging is such a key driver for engagement and retention of employees. And and that is distinctly different from inclusion, because it's about that sense of connection that you have Mm -hmm. to your team, to your company, to your peers, right? Do you feel like people really understand you and connect to you and yet that you're in a place that will inspire some loyalty, right? And and so, you know, belonging is really that sense of um, feeling like you can, you know, you're valued for who you are and you can bring your authentic self to work. Um, so all of these things really are, are necessary concepts that we need to focus on because they work together and reinforce each other so that we can drive that better workplace for all.
1: I've I seen this in some of the the groups, that organizations that we work with, who have put a uh, let's say a strong focus on diversity and in their hiring and all of that work, and they'll they'll get very representative groups in the organization, and then they don't stay, and you know there's there's a you can watch the numer- the numbers drop off within a year or two, and it's. My guess, my sense in, in having some of these conversations is it's got to go to the inclusion and belonging side where I don't feel that I'm connected to this organization or even maybe not even connected, maybe actually expelled almost, you know, like oil and water kind of a situation.
0: Very much so many companies will just focus on the diversity piece and the representation of what's coming in the door. But if they're not also focusing on the inclusion, equity, and belonging pieces, then you're going to watch uh, that diversity that you spent so much time, money, and effort to bring in walk out at the same rate. And so you're not actually, in the end, making any change to your overall outcome, Right. So if you want to increase diversity at your company, you not only have to focus on the hiring, but you also, and sometimes, you know, I I emphasize in, in many cases more so, you have to focus on what kind of environment you're creating for them, right, that they are going to be able to thrive in. And want to stay that means making sure that you have equitable experiences, making sure that you have proper like career development opportunities, because we know development is one of those key drivers for retention, it's about making sure that they can see how their jobs and roles really contribute to the overall goals of the company right? Um, and, and giving them benefits that will support them in their everyday lives as well, right? There's so many things that we can do, practically speaking, to support inclusion, equity, and belonging, that it's, it's actually kind of surprising that more companies aren't like, don't, don't have that as part of like their strategies, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm wondering, as I, as I listen to what you're saying. And we'll take it back up to our level of senior leaders who are listening and thinking about things strategically. Where do you recommend, or do you recommend, or does it depend on the data, where organizations should be focusing initially? Is there, are there some key leverage points in these initiatives and in this work that are some of the, the most effective places to get started?
0: I think it depends on the specific organization and the context that it's in. Um, there's no one-size-fits-all recommendation or solution in this space uh, because every organization is different, right? So just like people. <laughs> so if you're in a high-growth startup that is hiring a lot of people in a very short amount of time, hiring is going to be your focus area because that's where you have leverage, right? That's where you can actually drive change no matter, you know, whether you're like, you know, 10 people at a startup or small business, or if you're like 2000, right? Like you, you have the opportunity to change your numbers through your hiring, You know, I don't think it's wrong to focus on that if you're in that stage of growth because you're setting the tone for the company's future. Right. Versus if you're a much more established company and you aren't doing a lot of hiring or you're a small business and you grow very slowly, so there's not a huge opportunity hiring, right? You want to make sure that you're still focused on diversity in whatever hiring you do. And you probably have more runway to be very, very thoughtful and considerate about making sure that your uh, outreach is as broad and as deep and diverse as possible, right? But you're probably going to have more opportunity to focus on the inclusion, equity, and belonging piece, right? Where where you are, are you creating the environment? Are you providing the right benefits? Are you celebrating people from different cultures and backgrounds and um, and acknowledging things that may be happening externally in the world that can be affecting your workforce like all of these things are are different ways in which we can show our commitment to inclusion um, and creating the right experiences for our employees and and that I think is is key to um, you know really advancing this work it definitely you know depends versus like you know some companies that are Big conglomerates that are very global, right? They're going to have to have different strategies in different cultural contexts. In some countries, right? It's maybe you you have to focus on um, religious difference as a dimension of diversity versus other cultural contexts. You 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 know you're really focused on gender difference, and so it it really depends. But what's important is that companies really take the time to assess like what's relevant for me. And where, you know, where am I today and where do I need to go in order to really drive my business forward?
1: And, you know, it's getting strategic about it like you would do anything else, right? It's assessing where are we, where do we want to go, and then figuring out what we're going to do to get there. You know, at at the level of the individual, our listeners listening to the show... I know that from conversations and 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 one of the things that you talk about is the comfort with being uncomfortable that there isn't a now and forever right answer for many of the questions that people have and it and part of changing i think for people who come from that mindset for whether that's a dominant cultural mindset whatever it might be i don't even know the right language but I got to get this right. I got to do this the right way. And once I've nailed that, then I'm done with that, scratch, cross it off and move on. And that's not how any of this works. And so as a leader, what's the, what's the mindset and approach, a healthier way for us to approach these questions, topics and, and process?
0: I think it's it's about being okay with making mistakes right? It's about risk-taking. I mean, you think about many business leaders and businesses, right? We, we all take risks around the business that we hope are, you know, well-informed and, you know, we've got strategies in place to mitigate some of those risks and, and we do that to drive our businesses forward. But um, we tend not to apply that same thinking to people <laughs> and to the DEIB space in particular, Um, We get so afraid of making a mistake by like saying the wrong thing or inadvertently offending someone um, that many times we feel like it's much safer to just not do anything at all or not say anything. And that's the opposite of what I think we need to do. We need to switch our mindsets up to applying that risk mindset to this space too, right? Like to your point, we're not going to get it right. Nobody's perfect. And um, we're messy human beings who all react in, you know, un- unexpected and sometimes irrational ways. Right. And and so we have to be OK with dealing with that messiness um, in order to drive this forward, because it's when we don't talk about it, when we don't address it, that nothing happens. So, you know, I, I think that that's that's the key is, is not thinking about you know, how do I get this right? But like, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable with not knowing all the answers, which, again, I think many leaders have issues with, right? Because, you know, people look to you for for the answers. Um, And and so that's a hard place to be, I think, for for many folks, but really necessary.
1: I I think that if I were to Maybe someday, Brooke, we can do this. I'm so talking to our producer, Brooke here. I'm wondering if someday we were to go through and make a montage of all the times people who said, you're not going to have all the answers. Stop trying to have all the answers. And it doesn't matter what topic we're talking about, but leadership today is not about having all the answers. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about DE and IB or you know your strategy or your whatever it is that you're doing. There's a level of competence, yes. But the the work of of, and this kind of work in particular you know you you mentioned in the book the fact that things change that they change from person to person so the the forms of address the, the words that we're using things change and so you know there's as you're talking about risk and business risk we establish criteria that we use to take healthy business risks right so we say, okay, if it's going to achieve this and there's this chance that this could happen, then yeah, I'm going to go for it and I'll learn from that and I'll see what happens. And I haven't explored this thought. It's coming out of my mouth in real time, Cynthia. But it seems to me that there can be similar criteria in our work with people and in in diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, belonging type of work of what's my purpose here am i am i taking a risk on behalf of trying to be helpful connected empathy be trying to include you know if i'm taking the risk on uh, with that in mind i'm taking a healthy risk that i can learn from i think i'm gonna throw that to you and see how does that sound (laughs) how does that strike you
0: I love it. I think that's exactly right. You know, I think that we need to kind of figure out what our own thresholds and criteria are for getting more comfortable in this space. And, and, you know, and and I think, you know, even if that comes down to like, practicing in a safe space, right? Like here's here's the thing that I, I think, you know, you can do as an individual that you maybe can't necessarily do as a, you know, when you're making business decisions is um you have the opportunity to experiment a little bit more when you're an individual, right? And you 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 can role play, you can like, you know, approach this with a growth mindset of um, you know, how do I learn how to practice these like, skill sets? Because it is a skill you know, to engage people in meaningful, authentic dialogue about what it means to be Black in America, as an example, or trying to understand what, what is the disability experience for somebody who's you know, getting hired and coming into my company right? Like, these are all things that that you you can take the time to like learn and assess and understand and engage with. Um, And we can all do that. And doing that even establishes a threshold of like getting comfortable with something that is different, that you don't know, right? Um, And can be part of that criteria for like, okay, like, I'm, I'm gonna make a mistake if, if, uh, you know, if, if i ask like how do you like what pronoun do you use right like even like getting yourself into that habit which can feel very daunting um once you start doing it like becomes so much easier and and i think helps us all kind of orient ourselves to okay like maybe taking this risk isn't so bad
1: and there are so many one of the things that uh, comes up for me as I read your book and, and I think about what you're saying is that there are so many areas where because of what it means to be a human being, we know our own experience and it you know without any thinking about it. Otherwise, we just extrapolate that to that's everybody else's. experience And it's not true. And how not true that is. And it doesn't mean we're bad or wrong or anything, but to, gosh, to cultivate that awareness, as you were saying, and to actively learn and seek out What are the different experiences? And I'll just, I'm gonna call myself into this discussion, reading the book, talking about leadership development. Uh, You talked about an initiative that you led where you were doing, um, or if I'm understanding it correctly, targeted support for people who are from underrepresented backgrounds Mm -hmm. uh, when it came to leadership development. So that's my industry. I'm all about leadership development, management skills, Human centered leadership. Obviously, you're listening to the show, you know that. That's what we do for a living. And when you talked about the conversation that you had, when you could get people with that shared experience of underrepresentation from a common background, who then shared their own experiences and some of the limiting beliefs that they had to break through or that they could break through in those discussions. I mean, how long have i been doing this work cynthia and that was a i i had my hand on my forehead going holy cow wow that had not occurred to me and how important that is you know there are just so many different areas that we can learn
0: yeah Uh, you know and and you know we all like we don't leave that at the door when we come into the workplace or anywhere else for that matter right and so I think it's important for people to feel like that's acknowledged and seen, right? Um, and there's so much power in being able to have empathy around shared experience and to be able to, to take that and, and develop strategies together on, okay, how do, how do I push past some of you know, what that experience has taught me? about how to navigate through the workplace, right? Um, You know, I was uh, talking to somebody um, not very long ago uh, about his particular, you know, sort of traumatizing experience as a black man um, in a predominantly, growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood and, um, and how he had had an experience with, you know, discrimination and, you know, racial profiling by the police and, you know, all of these, these different situations that, you know, have taught him to, you know, sort of shrink into the background to, you know, hopefully, you know, not be perceived by like his blackness necessarily, mm. like up front. And, and that was holding him back, I think, from being the leader that many of us could see was there, right? But he had to unpack that for himself amongst a group of people who really understood what that meant and could share with him how they themselves unpacked it. Right. And that really took it open a, a different level of thinking that, you know, he, and, and and sort of gave him more of the door to walk through to feel like, okay, he could, he could like actually push past that and, and start to, you know, be more forward and, you know, and, It's been maybe a year and a half later now, and like he's been promoted. Awesome. Um, And so, you know, those are the stories that I live for, right? Like, (laughs) I just I love seeing people kind of grow um, through that community and shared experience, and whatever coaching and you know other experiences that they need to be able to really thrive in, in, in the workplace.
1: I love it. And I love the passion. I, I, you, I know, listeners, you can't see Cynthia's smile, but I hope you can hear it. It's there. So, Cynthia, you suggest focusing on small incremental changes often, not exclusively, but small incremental changes rather than big sweeping ones. And I'm curious, can, can you give us some examples of what you mean by small incremental changes and why the focus why those are so important in the totality of this kind of work?
0: Because I think that very often, um, especially in the industries that I've been in, right? Like tech where, you know, we are driving like incredible change in society through technology at a very, very fast pace. We tend to think that that's, 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 we can do that anywhere right? Like we, we, we want the fast fix, we want to be able to like go from zero to 60 in three seconds, right? But in this space, I've not seen that happen in a significant way, because there are so many sort of ingrained ways of thinking and beliefs about what to do and not do in this space and you know sort of entrenched systems that have been designed for the majority not Mm. the minority that Mm. are very hard to shift really quickly um that sort of are act as all of these different challenges and barriers to our ability to really drive like a huge change in a short amount of time Um, And, you know, and I think when people see that they're not making that progress to those big sweeping changes, it can be very demotivating in -hmm. this space. Um, So that's why I I think it's, you know, really important to focus on those incremental steps, right? Like, there's this saying I learned early on, and I, I forget who, where it comes from. But somebody said to me, like, even if you take a step forward, and you fall flat on your face, you're still moving forward right? (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Well, let's, let's get practical. What are two or three examples of these kind of small incremental changes and not that that there's magic in any one of these, but just so that we can wrap our head around what you're talking about. What might, might be a couple of examples?
0: I think doing something as simple as mentoring, right? Like, and you can start small, right? Like I, I mentor three to five people at any given point in time driving, you know, supporting individuals and and helping them kind of grow and see how they can apply your coaching and learning and experiences to their own career trajectories can make a big difference. Every single person from an underrepresented background that you help to move forward in their career is an incremental move. Things like doing that or even in a situation where you're in a team meeting and somebody makes in like an inappropriate reference or joke and not letting that go. Being an upstander and saying, hey, you know, I I think that you said this thing. The impact of that was it made me feel like I wasn't valued or really like I couldn't connect to this team. And it would be great if you could use language or not say things like that or whatever, right? And how that can create sort of a a stronger sense of equity and inclusion, right, in in the team. Um, That's another incremental shift.
1: We have these daily incremental things that we can do to live this way every day, if we're looking for them.
0: Exactly. That was beautifully said.
1: You said it. I'm just summarizing (laughs) Uh, Cynthia, you have this line in the book, it it comes a little bit later. uh, And I thought this was so powerful, encapsulating some of what we're talking about here, you say, it's not about teaching people who are different, how to conform to the norm. It's about teaching people who make up the norm to redefine what the norm is. And I thought from a leadership perspective that that so powerfully, that's a principle that like, okay, Yes, how do we do that every day? And then those small incremental changes are all different ways of working that out. Not teaching people who are different how to conform to the norm, it's about teaching people who make up the norm to redefine what the norm is. I don't really have a question there. I just wanted to call out that because I thought it was a beautiful thought.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank you, David. Thank you for that. I, I do, I do think that, you know, if, if we're going to drive real change in this space, it needs to not just come from the people who are in those minority underrepresented groups, it has to come from people who are in the majority. And we know we know that, like, you know, we all have bias, uh, whether conscious or unconscious, as human beings. Um, and so we have to actively work to mitigate against those and that means you know not letting the norm for leadership being only defined as extroverted tall white males right um, as CEOs you know mm-hmm. like we have to think about you know how do we leverage the people who are introverted that they have great leadership skills in this space we have to think about who, you know, doesn't fit into that, like, you know, sort of image that we currently have of leaders and, and, you know, use that and and apply that to like the criteria that we use on that, you know, everyday level, right? When we're going through promotions, right? Like who fits and doesn't fit um, what we see as leadership qualities means really understanding how we define leaders. Um, And that's part of redefining that norm.
1: And another area that you, that you get at that, again, this is one that every person listening to this show has to do is performance reviews and where all of the, some of those biases that we all have because of our brains that we were born with and the culture we grew up in, like we all have them and they come out in performance reviews. So I would encourage, get the book, read the section and learn some of those so that we can start becoming aware of them. One that you call out that I, I, I love your language and you said it more succinctly than I ever have. You said halos and horns that th- this way of um, almost labeling somebody on one characteristic with either halo or horns, which I love because I love the alliteration. I had my own version of that was I called it staining or anointing. And, you know, I'd see leaders do that where one person gets stained, the other person gets, you know, anointed with, for whatever it is. But tell us, Briefly about halos and horns, and just as one example of something we need to be aware of in our own leadership and performance management.
0: Definitely. I can't take credit for the alliteration, by the way, David. That is a well known bias that that has been documented in psychological literature. But it is about really like taking, you know, seeing somebody does one great thing and thinking that they do everything great, right? Or somebody has done one bad thing in the last like couple of months. And suddenly, like, nothing they do is like, right. And I think that that's a really sort of dangerous kind of bias to apply, because then it means that you're not looking at the full person and the full body of work. And you're making assumptions about what they will or won't do in the future based off of one experience. And we've all been there, right? We've all been in places where, you know, I if, if I make a mistake, oh no, like is somebody gonna think that I I can't cut it anymore, right? And so I think it's really important for us to like actively work against that particular bias, and that can look like things as you know simple as one practice that I started doing years ago was, whenever somebody sent me praise on great work that I did, right? I like I put it in a folder right on, on my um, desktop, and you know kept the record of that through the year so that I could then reference it when it was time for annual performance review, right? And and make sure that that's in there. I think anybody can do this, right? Even if you're a manager and, you know, somebody sending you praise about one of your employees, like putting that into one of those documents so that you can reference that. It's something that gives you a record of more than one thing that's been done, right? And then you can always check your bias against that. You can check your bias by getting feedback from other people. Like there are so many ways to be able to counteract it
1: fantastic wow we are just about out of time and we have just scratched the surface there is so much more in this in this book different roles that you can play as an ally and what those look like uh more on uh, inclusive hiring reducing bias and performance reviews and promotions and all of the different that we've touched on a few of these but there's so much more and then at the organizational level. Highly encourage you to take advantage of Cynthia's book. Cynthia, tell us where can we find all our welcome and where can we connect with you?
0: Yes, they are the book is available online through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, org, IndieBound. And you can find links to all of those places on my website, CynthiaOyoung.com. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter.
1: Fantastic. And we will get Cynthia's all of those links also in the show notes. So Cynthia, with uh, the minute we have remaining, and then I I know that you've got some things you need to go to, this work can be challenging. And you've been in the tech industry, which has a reputation for being one of the more challenging arenas. I'm curious how you care for yourself and your own emotional health, because it can be exhausting. And it's like you said, it's a long uphill climb to the level of change to get to where we're trying to go. And by extension, we'll learn from you. And I'm going to give you the last word as we try to be the leaders that we want our boss to be.
0: I definitely unplug at the end of every day. And that's how I make sure that I have time for you know my own thoughts and to recharge. I recharge with my family, with my kids. And I, I also engage in things just you know, just outside, like I lose myself in books and um, celebrity gossip magazines. Um, and that, that for me is a really great way to like get my mind off of all of the issues and challenges that I'm dealing with and gives me sort of that downtime to, to recharge. And I think it's just it's really important. We all have to disengage like in a really fundamental way from work occasionally to be able to get that recharge time back and and that's that's how i do it
1: fantastic we've been talking with cynthia oh young from san francisco bay area here the author of all are welcome how to build a real workplace culture of inclusion that delivers results uh cynthia is the vice president of inclusion equity belonging uh, uh at Robinhood. and cynthia we just thank you so much for being a part of the show today sharing your wisdom with us uh and look forward to the continued work that you're doing and being a part of that work along with you wherever we are in the world. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for the conversation,
1: David. All right. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.